conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, and I am joined today by a new guest, Tom Mullen. He is here to discuss his anthology of emo books, and he also does a few other things, so I will let him introduce himself. Tom, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic, other than a global pandemic. Everything else is great. Yeah, same here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, I've been doing Washed Up Emo, uh, the website, since about 2007 and started the podcast in 2011. And uh, it was really fun. Basically, no one out there was talking to the heroes that I thought should be interviewed. And so I just started it. Um, There were not many podcasts uh, um, talking about this stuff back then. And so it was really, really, really fun to reach out. And it snowballed into... 170 plus episodes over the years and we launched a dj night in 2014 um or excuse me 2011 excuse me 2011 later that uh earlier than the podcast actually and we've been doing that for nine years up until the pandemic um but yeah after 170 episodes i was like oh man like there's so much to do from this more than just podcast so this is you know the book kind of stemmed from that and then in my my daytime i work in the music industry i've worked at indie labels uh punk labels and major labels and uh so that's that is the uh that is the day job but uh when i'm home and um working it's the podcast it's the book and um answering uh angry emails about is this band emo.com that's my day (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine there are some people who are not too thrilled when they don't get the answer they're looking for. But with Anthology of Emo, you pulled interviews from the podcast and added a visual element to them. So when you first got the idea to do that, did you know exactly who was going to be included in the first volume, that there were going to be multiple volumes? How did that sort of all play out for you? Yeah, yeah, it was a friend had kind of said like, hey, if you ever do a book, I'll design it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. What would I do? And I kind of like, I just looked at the list that I had so far and I just kind of realized I had all these artists from all these different eras and a lot of voices that weren't in books or weren't talked about enough or were a little bit more obscure that should be or a really popular person that maybe people everybody knew and it would pull in maybe they read about someone else yeah. so i was kind of trying to play off almost like a radio show you want to play a song that someone knows and then immediately after play a song they don't because you at least you had them for that one so that was the the mindset and i really thought um just um like liner notes in a cd or a vinyl package doesn't do much now in the digital age so can you can you repurpose things and I had been doing that professionally and I thought about it from my own podcast I'm like well there's only so many people that are listening to this podcast what if it could be something physical what if it could be something that someone could have and look be able to look at photos be able to look at flyers and other ephemera from those artists and that's kind of the it just snowballed I didn't know how it was going to do I was scared and I thought Let's just see what happens. Let's just call it volume one. And if it becomes volume one and it's only volume one, then fine. But it didn't. It sold out like crazy and super fast. And then it got to me being like, all right, well, volume two it is. And so, yeah, it was uh, definitely 
did not know what to do, did not know anything and learned a lot while doing the first one. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, I have no idea if anyone's going to care. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where you take a big leap of faith when you are doing something that is in print form, especially in the present day, it seems like, because, you know, a lot of print magazines have died off. People aren't doing print zines anymore like they were back in this sort of era. So that medium has sort of died off. And while you still have books being published every week, it's something that I think because of how digital the music industry in particular has gone, you're maybe taking a risk. And because your podcast is obviously a digital format as well, it's like, okay, well, if people have already listened to the podcast, will they necessarily want this in book form? So you did this thing where you had pictures of set lists and just this imagery that you can't get with the podcast itself unless you were to literally upload every single image that you want associated with that podcast episode and link to it and hope that people clicked on it. So I think you went about it the right way as far as adding something extra so that it wasn't just a regurgitation of the podcast episode. Right. That was the whole, I think some people thought it was a history book initially. They're like, oh, where's where's X artist or where's this era or I'm hope you started on this year and, or, you know, I hope it doesn't include is this band emo. Um, just funny, by the way, is this band emo is a complete joke and it's not serious. So if anyone goes to that and gets offended, it is a joke. It's always been a joke. Um, people sometimes, I guess, kind of don't, don't pick up on that, but yes, with the book, super leap of faith. And I thought too, that someone would want the, the, the physical form of, that that element of the podcast and i found that i mean when i was doing a couple book events for this first volume a few years ago i mean people would come up and say i've never listened to your podcast i love your instagram and i wanted the book so it was cool it's kind of like a a way to get more than just someone that's going to listen to a podcast yeah, exactly. And you mentioned the first run sold out and you've waited until now to do a reprinting of volume one since you have volume two coming out this September. Was that something you definitely wanted to wait on until you had more material before reprinting that first volume? No, I have. I could do 10 volumes. It's just time mm -hmm. and, you know, life and, and my job. And I wish this could be my day job. I wish I could do this all day. Um, I wish I could. I mean, I have emails sitting in my inbox of bands from around the world to listen to. And I'm, I am never, there's no, nothing, there's always something to do. And so for me, I wish my Patreon could pay my bills and I could do this all time. But yeah, I have, I have volumes for years and years and years. It's just time. So the first one, you know, took, I would say a year to put together okay. just because I'm, I have friends that are helping with, I have friends that are helping with editing, but like I edit my own show, my own podcast. I edited the book. I had, you know, obviously smarter people go over and tell me that grammar's wrong, but I did that first, you know, edit. I did the final, uh, the decisions on who, like reaching out to people, make like, so I'm, you know, kind of a different from maybe different, uh, the podcast world today where there's a lot of production folks. I still do everything because I want to be connected to it. Or since I did the interview with Chris Caraba, I can edit it the way that, um, I knew the interview happened and do the same thing on, on paper. So I just have a very, uh, 
personal connection to these and, and feel, I don't know, I want to make it right. And I have uh, a hard time giving it to people. So it takes me longer. <laughs> As someone who has started doing freelance podcast editing and production, it's one of those things where you have to have this trust with the people you're working with in yes. order to get to that level where you're like, okay, I will hand this over to you. And even sometimes when I'm working on a podcast, one of my clients will be like, hey, this part absolutely needs to be cut out. And then the rest is kind of up to me. And, you know, if you don't want someone making those decisions, it will take you a lot longer to get it done yourself. And I have nothing against anyone who does that because I edit my own podcast. I don't farm that out. I'm like, right. no, you know, it's easier for me to edit my own because I know exactly what was said and I know exactly what I want taken out. So it's certainly a personal preference. And when it comes to a book, you tend to need to involve other people because a podcast, I don't want to say absolutely anyone can do it, but you have the freedom to just publish that yourself. Whereas with a book, you kind of want someone going over it. And while you're transcribing conversations, so not everything necessarily needs to be exactly grammatically correct, since we don't speak like we write, basically, right. you have this mm -hmm. sense of wanting it to be maybe a little more presentable than a podcast would be just because it's this physical thing people are going to pay for and hold in their hands. Totally. And I'm actually, when I'm doing interviews today, I think about not only I'm, as I'm doing it, I'm editing, I'm hearing a passage. I'm hearing the guy say the same thing over again, or the woman, same thing. Over, I'm like, Hey, cool. I'm going to edit that. Like I'm not writing it down, but just in my head and same thing with the book. I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to be amazing as a quote for the book. Like <laughs> as I'm interviewing them, I'm doing that. And so I think everyone should edit their own show first to get it, to understand it. Like if they just started and being like, Oh, I'm just going to farm this out. And I don't think they actually get it. They're just doing interviews. And I would, that's my personal preference. Other people have, um, but I think you need to learn it first. And sure, if you get that trust like you have with your folks, I hope that, you know, that, that works, but agree with you on the podcast side, there's definitely preferences, but on the book, of course, I definitely skirted by an English class and did as best as I could. And, and I hated thesis or, uh, you know, thesis papers and things. Yeah. So I do have professionals looking through this and, um, it's funny though, how like references like spellings of bands or uh connections between things like you still have to go through that because they'll be you know uh, the last book um i missed a typo with sam i am because the writer kept typing it as sam uh, space i space am but that's all one word mm -hmm. and of course the spell check's not going to pick that up if you're kind of scrolling through it you're not going to notice it so it was those things that i i kind of um it's also figuring out, you know, the person does, do they understand the person that I'm interviewing and do they understand the connections and things? That's also huge on the book side. Yeah. And I've been lucky with the fact that working with Finn McKenty and A.L. Levy on their podcast, they've been making content for so long that they have it down to a science pretty much. So for me to come in and then just edit their stuff without them going through it first. They make those same mental notes that you and I make with our own podcasts as they're doing these things and then relay that information to me. So that is where I think things just 
get better as a workflow when you're working with other people. So for the books, do you have all of these sort of mental notes from when you did the podcast? Like you said, you knew certain quotes were going to be great for the book. But when you bring in other people, did you find it was hard to sort of get that workflow down at first and kind of got easier as you went along through the process? Yeah, it definitely got easier. There was the the, the right person or, you know, the the them understanding after a couple interviews and asking them to fix something or realize, oh, hey, hey, when you see this term, it's spelled this way or like maximum rock and roll. There's a specific way to write that. And it's not what you think. So it's like those types of things as you get going the next time they see that word or they see that phrase, it happens. But yeah, from the first one to the second one, like I can make books. Like I know how I know how to do it. I know the workflow. I know the process, the costs, the everything. So it was super fun to figure it out on the first one. And I had great support from the artists. You know, we did two events. I did one in New York or Brooklyn and then another in LA and, uh, it was just great to have that support and them kind of, you know, this story, their stories deserve to be in a wider place. When you say the word, that's the reason why it looks serious. It looks like a book. It looks like a textbook or a textbook rather. Mm -hmm. It needs to be serious because this genre is not a joke. There's no neon. There's no, you know, uh, weird like uh, references to white belts or anything. Like I know that that's a part of the history, but this is not the the goal was to see someone seeing this and not snicker and not laugh and realize that there were serious stories happening. There's serious issues that were happening in the 80s, 90s, 2000s and today from this genre that aren't spoken about. And hopefully when someone picks it up and maybe they only know Chris Caraba or maybe they only know Matt Pryor and maybe they learn about Kaya from Raina Maria or they learn about, you know, something that Chris references that they didn't realize and vice versa. I learned a lot doing this. Like I learned a lot about like I was being told, you know, I was wrong about things or, hey, actually it was this. And that's what I love because uh, it's a never ending mountain. Like I will never run out of people to interview and I will never run out of books to publish based on the rate that I'm going. <laughs> yeah. And with each volume, you've had, you know, roughly 10 interview subjects contained within the books. So you aren't just taking your entire podcast and condensing it down into book format. You're giving it room to breathe. And with the first two volumes, I've noticed a pattern with some of your interview subjects, or I would say the majority of them, is that they don't all just have one project. Sure, Jim Atkins is only in Jimmy world, and that's going to be a big focus of that conversation. But then, like you mentioned, Chris Caraba, Mike Kinsella, Matt Pryor, those guys have done so many different things that the conversation can go so many different ways. So did you have trouble narrowing it down for these first two volumes, who you were going to have on based on one, how big they are within the emo scene and two, familiarity that someone like me who isn't super ingrained in the scene would still have with them? Yeah, that was it was uh, exactly it was all right. Jim, like if I'm doing volume one, it's like, okay, I got to have promise ring. You know, those guys were huge for me and, 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 and Caraba, Chris Caraba is a friend dashboards, obviously very recognizable. Kinsella uh, recognizable, but Chris Leo from, you know, the Van Pelt, 
more people need to know about them. Or Eric Richter from Christie Front Drive. People don't realize that he's the catalyst for so many bands and connections. Um, and so it was that kind of interplay to be like, all right, who makes sense? Who could kind of fit and who was kind of fun? And it was like kind of putting together a puzzle. And I've already thought about three and four and five. Um, and it's it's really, it's, it's fun to do it, I think, that way. Um, and I hope, you know, people realize like this is not a history book. This is not meant to be starting in 1988 or whatever the year is that anyone, you know, thinks it is and continues on. Like that was never like it's I always like here's the other thing. I edit myself out of my podcasts as I've been going. Like I'd say for the last four or five years of the show, I've just been like, why am I even in this? Like if I <laughs> ask the question the right way and the artist answers it, I, as a listener, would rather hear them than me. That's the other thing that I really like is um, there's some interviews you don't even hear me until like 10 minutes in. And I've built up the questions and started the, you know, the my theories or things that I want to ask them. And I felt that way with the book that it was fun to read some of these early ones and be like, oh man, I should have shut the fuck up. <laughs> but, you know, and then now I'm kind of, you know, editing on these when I'm doing the book edits, like you said earlier, like it's a different thing when you're reading. It was, it was times where I was like, I can just take myself out. Awesome. You know, <laughs> just be able to hear, hear, hear the artist um, speak. Cause it's not about me. Um, yes. My name's on it because I did it, but this is this is their stories. I just happen to be there. I just happen to be at the shows. I just happen to be. Uh, I fell into this, and I'm trying to tell the story because I don't think it's documented enough. I think the mid 2000s that is documented like no tomorrow. There are documentaries. There are magazines. There are whole stores dedicated to it. But the stories aren't really told for some of these other eras, and it would be great. So that's the. So yes, I'm thinking about all those things <laughs> as I'm figuring out who should be in each volume. <laughs> yeah, I will say I love that Leslie Simon is included in volume two because not everyone you've talked to on the podcast is necessarily a band person. And to get those different perspectives too from the people who were covering these bands at the time, right. that's also super important. Yes. And I, I was actually texting with Leslie last night and just being like, I'm just, I was like, just, I'm so happy you're in this. Like, I just, I love what you said. I love what you did. Like, I just was like gushing to her and I just, I just wanted to, I was just so appreciative that she, A, wanted to talk to me, B, let me put her in the book because I have to be honest, like people were like, well, where's this person? I'm like, well, they actually haven't said yes to wanting to do the podcast. They haven't, you know, they haven't agreed to be in the book. Like that happens. Like I don't think people realize that sometimes. Like they just expect, just like we expect Spotify to have every song. They expect that just like everybody, like, well, they're not in this. So, uh, you know, something's up. And I'm like, well, maybe they don't want to be. Or maybe something's going on in their life. Or maybe... Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm very patient. Like I won't say who, but there's a lot of people that I've asked for years. Yeah. And they've said no, or uh, they said no for three years. And they finally said, yes, I will say one Brett Detar from the Juliana theory. He said no for three years <laughs> until he finally said yes. And that's okay. They weren't ready to talk. And 
so uh, th- so I'm I'm really appreciative, and Leslie is someone that um, you're totally right. A different perspective. She was in it. She was there. She's not just talking about the music, and they were they happened to just want to write about emo this year. She was in it, and all those guys were friends with her, and all these bands confided with her. And, um, she's just, I don't know. I think more people, she's written a ton of great books. So I just think she's someone that, you know, I told her, I was like, I want you to do interviews, like forget me. Like I want her to talk because she can do it better than me. (laughs) Yeah. And obviously the same goes for Trevor Kelly, who has written books with Leslie. So to have the the two of them in the same volume certainly makes sense. And you mentioned people not being on the podcast because they've said no for one reason or another. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that you and I are podcast hosts who have to ask people to be on the podcast. I did not force you to be here today. I hit up your publicist, Mike, and said, hey, you know, I'd be interested in this if Tom is. And you go from there. Sometimes you have that middle person to schedule these things. And even if you have a personal connection with them, you can't just expect them to say yes because you want them to. I was recently talking about this on the Punk Rock NBA with Finn because it's one of those things where I personally got inside my head. I was like, who's going to want to talk to me? I'm pretty much a nobody in comparison to some of the people I was asking to have on my various podcasts, at least in my opinion. But you don't know until you ask. Sometimes you won't get a response. Every once in a while, you will get a no. And typically, most people will be polite about the no. They'll give you a reason. They'll say, I don't really want to talk about this, or they just won't have time. Like you said, you never really know what's going on with someone at any given time. So I think when fans want someone on a podcast, they're not exactly thinking through it in that same way. Yes. And I I would say it is it's very rare like this. I definitely like I've got publicists for this book because that's a whole world that I'm not as versed in with music. And so I've, I rarely have anybody in the middle and most of the interviews early on, if I'm giving some behind the scenes, like most of these original ones, I never spoke to a label or a publicist. It was direct. Mm -hmm. It was, Hey, we're friends or, Hey, we saw each other's show once or, Hey, I had you on my radio show back in the day. Would you be down to talk? And that's how it snowballed. It wasn't, let me ask a publicist. So anybody out there that's wants to do one, go with your friends, go with people, you know, and practice and be, do that versus waiting for a publicist to hit you back because they will ignore you. They will uh, wait for the Rolling Stone or whatever garbage, uh, you know, thing that they're used to doing. Um, And that's no offense to that, but they're just so they're so uh, conditioned to these same words for their artists that, um, you know, I don't think I would have gotten a lot of the early ones unless I went direct and you having that confidence and you realizing like, you know, I'm just going to ask and just ask. You never know someone's going to say yes or someone's going to say no. And um, I think something early happened for me that helped was I had an early AV club review. I don't know how they found it, (laughs) the podcast. I didn't, I didn't email them at all, but they found the podcast and they said the nicest thing that I still um, think is why 
uh, I think I succeed, I succeeded and it's still going is they said the hosts keep the episode flowing nicely as they have a deep knowledge and reverence of their guest, but they avoid becoming overly energetic fans. So it's like, I'm nerding out for you, but I'm keeping it cool. Yeah. And I think that's how it's, it's been successful. And, uh, I think when other people, like I got scared because I had a, an absolute hero and talk to them and it was uh it was face to face it wasn't over the phone or over skype and they were like oh yeah i've listened to your show and i instantly froze <laughs> because i'm like how many times did i nerd out about that band oh shit uh, was that 12 times 15 times like i instantly got nervous and then i realized like tom it's cool he's still here he said yes he came in like <laughs> you know like your inner monologue so i don't know i was that's a very long tangent but ask and uh, don't go through the label or the publicist. <laughs> I think it's an important tangent, though, because a lot of people have wanted to have similar creative endeavors like a podcast or releasing a book. And if you want to have interview subjects, you have to just be willing to ask. And, you know, I don't consider this an interview podcast. Yes, I'm asking you questions, but I also try to keep it more conversational just so it's not just, okay, here's my list of questions. I am going to ask you every single one. And that is that. Right. Yeah. And I, my favorite thing is like, I've had, uh, David Bazan, you know, from Pedro the lion on, and we just got in this deep discussion and we, he was like, I've never thought about it that way, or I've actually never made that correlation. And I think as a listener, I want that because I know where he's from. I know how many albums he has. I know what the songs sound like. You don't need to tell me what the song sounds like. Like, tell me what's going on. Tell me, tell me why this happened and what, what can I, and that's what I get off on. And I think the listener, when I, you know, the people have written in or just, you know, they're, that's what they connect to. And I'm a eternally curious person and I, I want to know everything. Like I have a friend getting into horses. I'm just diving in. I want to know everything. And it's not like. I want to know everything to go ride a horse. I just want to know because they're into it. And I feel that when I'm going into an interview, like I want to be just as excited about their thing and treat that the same way. And um, I think that goes a long way. And I feel like if someone does that out there and, and treats whatever their topic is that same way, they're going to have the best time. Right. And there's a certain amount of research that you can obviously do on your end to make sure you have the right information. But with you being a fan of the genre already, I imagine researching certain guests might be a little easier than some. Yeah. And it's like I have uh, like personal things that happened, you know, like if I uh, Chris Conley, I've seen him so many times back in the day and, you know, worked at the label that he was on. And so I've got business stuff. And also I booked a show for them before they broke at a pizza place <laughs> I worked at. So they remember that. So it's like they they can relax a little bit and they don't need to explain anything. Um, if that makes sense, like they don't have to. And so when I get to that point with someone, yes, it's a little bit easier because I can just, I, I already, it's almost like I've already had the questions ready. It's just, you know, when we finally get to do it. And um, again, there, there's been times where, you know, it's been difficult, you know, other times like they give one word answers or I found that, you know, they weren't really into this certain thing and you have to kind of 
pivot and you've got other things you want to talk about. So definitely from the research side, I try and hit something other than their music. Like Josh Berwanger uh, used to be a JV girls basketball coach. So that was something Josh Berwanger from the anniversary. So we had a blast talking about that because I love basketball. And I was able to kind of be like, well, what plays do you run? Or how do you do this? And and we weaved music in and out of it. And it was fun. And so that's where I think the secret sauce is and what makes these, I think, enjoyable. And also, you know, I'm doing this for a bigger reason. Like there's a lot of these artists' voices, you know, aren't documented anywhere. And specifically for volume two, John Bunch, I happened to do his last ever interview before he 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 died. And so I had a big responsibility to be like, wow, these are his last words, you know, taped. I mean, I was, I don't know, emotional editing this because it's just like, these are his words. His, his son is going to listen to this. His wife is going to listen to this. His family's going to listen to this. So having him in volume two was a big deal because I needed to ask his family, you know, like, Hey, is this okay? Is this something that you're okay with? And they were super cool and supportive. And I hope more people find out about John Bunch and all the bands that he did. And so it's like a, I don't know. I, it's not like I have a higher calling, but this isn't, again, this is for, I hope years later when I'm gone, someone finds out about John Bunch because this just happens to be in a library and we're allowed to go back because the pandemic's over and someone can open it up and learn about him. Yeah. I unfortunately missed the chance to pick up volume one the first time around, but I had the chance to listen to your podcast for numerous episodes before we ever thought about having this conversation. And I think when you really want to have a discussion with someone about something that is a huge part of their lives, you really have to be willing to do that work to dive into things and see what else they're into. And while I could go on about basketball all day, I don't want to totally derail this podcast because there's so many crazy things going on with the NBA, especially right right now. But, you know, it's nice to find these other common interests that you have with someone so you can make them more comfortable while you're talking to them. Yeah. I mean, I've had some where it's taken 10 or 20 minutes for them to relax and get them to kind of, you know, because sometimes they'll come into the interview and just be like, Hey, what's up? Hey, do you know who I am? Do you know who Washed Up Emo is? Do you know this? And a lot of times they're like, no. So you have to go and explain. And a funny side note is John Bunch for the first 20 minutes asked me questions. I couldn't even get a question out for him. Tom, where are you from? What are you doing? What's life? Like, what do you, where do you work? Like, and I was like, John, 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 this is about you. He's like, nah, man, I want to. And I just was like, oh my God. Like, it was just, it was very, it was weird for me because I was just like, I just want to shut up and hear them talk. And so that was interesting. But yeah, it is, it is a, and I think it really takes, I don't know, like podcasting is now the hot word. I mean, everybody's doing it. And back in 2011, like there was no one, there there was no Spotify buying Joe Rogan's back then. And so for, I just, I did it because I wanted to do it. And I think that goes back to the music where if you want to do it and you make the sound that you make, do it. Do not do it because that song is, or that band is on Warp Tour and I want to be on Warp Tour. I'm fine if that's part of your reason, but it can't be the whole thing because someone's going to see through it very, very quickly. And if you're genuine and you do the sound that you want to make, make that next genre or sound be the next thing. 
by you doing it, not by following. So I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of, of, of that. And I can just see through it so quickly. So again, there's a podcast for everyone now, but why are they doing it? Do they want, Oh, I want to get on iHeart or I want to get sponsored or I want to make money. Maybe go do something else, but that's not everybody. That's just me. Yeah, it's hard to tell someone's intentions when they're starting something like a podcast because you have so many out there now, like you said, and some people burn out, some people don't, and some have an end in mind. Like I started a Stephen King podcast, and obviously at some point that might end or at least slow down to not become a, to not be a weekly podcast because I'll right. have to wait for adaptations to come out to have new content to talk about. And Stephen King is getting very up there in age. So, you know, he <laughs> yes. won't be writing books forever. And at some point, that output will slow and come to a crawl instead of me just having one thing after another each week for a few years. But with Anthology of Emo, you have so much content from your podcast that you can have a book come out every year, every few years, depending on the time you have to make that happen. And you can also continue interviewing people. So there's certain things where it's so focused that there might be an end in sight, but there also might be just so many things that you still want to discuss that you can keep it going as long as you're willing to. Right. And actually, I was thinking about the Stephen King thing. I just finished on writing. Okay. Um, so it's just a fantastic book by yeah. him. I loved the, I mean, I read it probably in two days and I just, I think about when you talked about kind of sitting there, what do I do? What do I do next? Like I'm sitting there brainstorming for you because I think things that are evergreen and things that are niche is what people want. They want to learn people. There's kids from the Philippines and all over the world that reach out and say, Hey, just found your podcast. I started at episode one. And that's amazing. Like they're, they're diving in and I would be the same way if I found this. And I think someone finding out about Stephen King and learning your conversations and being able to dive in, there's probably other avenues to go. Um, there's discussions, there's fan fiction. Uh, anyway, you know, we can help offline, but I just think there you could, it can keep going, but yeah. yes, it, it's, it's okay to stop. It's, it's, it's okay to take a break. I don't feel that way. I just, I have to keep going. Um, I just, but I agree with you that there's a time and a place and for podcasting to the, that's what people want. They want these niches. And I love that there's so many of them, but yes, what are those intentions? What are, what's the reasoning? And is it the same interview? And also I get really turned off when like one person is just on every podcast, mm -hmm. like in like two weeks time, I'm like, okay, I don't know. It just seems like I just, maybe I'm seeing behind the curtain from being in the music biz, but I'm like, all right, well, I get your blitz that you just did, but uh, what did that really do? So I don't know. Eternally skeptical, I guess, too. It was all as same as curious, but I think your show and what, you know, um, what, you know, that's a, I mean, doing it around books, that's one thing for me to just have a record in the background for 30 yeah. minutes or 40 minutes. You've got a, you've got an opus to read. <laughs> <laughs> Many of them, as it turns out, with Stephen King. But yeah, that's why I tossed in the movies and the TV shows. And I have some plans for the comic books, too. But because I knew I wasn't going to be able to read a Stephen King book a week, I needed that buffer of the movies and TV shows to keep the content mm -hmm. flowing. And like you said, there are other things that I can do beyond those as well. But with Anthology of Emo, one other thing I wanted to get some insight on is 
polyvinyl's involvement because you are certainly the force behind the book, but polyvinyl is where you have been selling the books. Is that just because of a personal connection you had with the label or is there some other reasoning behind it? Yeah, Matt Lunsford and I've been talking to those guys for a super long time and they've always been super supportive of me and other labels I've worked at. We've interacted together um, when I've worked at indie and punk and hardcore labels, we've interacted. Mm-hmm. But when I was thinking about the book and I was trying to think of like, where do I want this to be? What can I do to make this independent and be able to trust someone to be able to ship this? Because I, at the time, was living in New York City and I didn't have room for 1,500, 2,000 books in my in my apartment. Of Who does? Studio apartment. In New York. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I was like, I need someone to help ship these. And again, um, Matt was like, I got, he's got a great deal that we have and they ship them out worldwide and uh, they're able to... You know, but it's, they didn't fund anything. They Mm -hmm. didn't, uh, they're not a part of my books series or they're just the distributor, but they're a great distributor and a great partner because they get it and they're smart and they're just, you know, amazing people to work with. And I've loved the label for years. So it's kind of like a dream. So yeah, it was, uh, they are the, they are the mechanism and they take a, if if it's uh, if I get technical, they do take a fee for doing the distribution because they have staff, they have overhead, their storage, those types of things. So, but uh, yeah, other than that, they are my friend helping me out. <laughs> yeah, I love that it's unconventional for a book release too, because you wouldn't instinctively say, oh, let me go to this record label to buy this book, but because of how ingrained polyvinyl is in the present day scene and their relationship with you. It's something that makes sense for this specific book. And it probably wouldn't make sense for a lot of other books. Right. Yeah. And they, um, they, they actually didn't buy the book. Like I, I buy the books, they just ship them and take the, you know, the fee off of the charge of the book so that's their sort of thing but yeah you're right like it just fit like Kinsella you know I've had members of Raina Maria who are on polyvinyl like just so many bands it just kind of intersected where it just it just makes sense and um, I've gotten really into it so now I'm going to be doing more books and I can't get into it or I don't want to give anything away and not have Mm -hmm. someone go back well you said this on this (laughs) podcast so but I want to do more books and I want them to be, you know, a big partner in that because they were so helpful for these. And I think there's more ways to tell stories than just this series. And so I'm kind of looking into that option as well. But yeah, they're just, if there's, you know, uh, if the music industry is a very, 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 very weird place and I've been in it for 20 years plus a few years of college dealing with some of these people and I've never had a more stand up folks than polyvinyl. It's the perfect delivery mechanism for the book you're releasing. And I think that goes to show just how who you know within the music industry over the years, maybe these relationships aren't something that you think about benefiting from right away. You know, one of the big things that's talked about a lot on especially the URM podcast is building relationships before you ask anyone for anything. Yeah. Yeah. I. It's And again, it's... And I'm not making fun of Xennials, Millennials. It could be, it could be, it could have been me back then, Gen Xer, and someone looking at me like that. So I'm saying this generally. There's a tendency now for this stuff to be instant. Like, all right, well, I've been an intern for three months. Give me a job, or I want a corporate card, or you know, I wanna, I wanna do this, this, and this now. 
And I'm okay with that tenacity. I'm okay with that. But some of these things take time. I couldn't ask certain bands to talk right after I met them. And also, they needed to see me. You know, I was at their show. They knew that I was at their shows for 10 years. They knew that I'd been, I worked with them and was always professional and always, you know, helped them out whenever they needed it. And it wasn't like, hey, I need backstage or I need tickets. It was just, I'm just going to go to the show and try to say hi. And that's where. And it's not like I'm doing that to then say, oh, cool, in seven years, I'm going to ask them to be on this. No, it just it just happens. So if you're cool with your friends and you're cool with people that you like and you would do the same thing for them, it goes a long way. And I haven't been perfect. Every No one has. But over majority of the only reason I have a job, the only reason that I've gotten these artists is because of the relationship that I've built for years and years and years. And some of them were quick. Some of them were long. It's not always the same situation, but it wasn't just like, Hey, I met someone the first time. And then three seconds later, Hey man, can you be on my podcast? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they asked, unless they're super interested and they want to cool. But it just, uh, I think there's a nuance and a tact to it that you just need to have. And, and also I call them basement kids, like kids that just on their computers, on message boards or on social tweeting all the time and like are you going and yes I know you can't do that now but let's pretend the pandemic doesn't happen <laughs> go to shows put out a zine be creative put something out in the world be at be at the record store ask the guy what's going on or be in these online forums and and maybe help someone and not always take and I think that's the that's the mentality I take too. Is like I'm gonna. I mean, I'm doing pro bono stuff for people or helping uh, someone come up with a podcast idea. Like I'm not waiting for them to help me out, but like I just want to do it because maybe it's good practice. Kind of like mm-hmm. you always get told if you're if you get if you just to always do an interview, even if you already have your job and you had it for three months and someone wants to talk to you, talk to them. It's good practice. Same thing with this. Exactly, and a lot of it has to do with right place, right time, being patient, and just letting things come to you as they come and not forcing the issue. You know, if I had started this podcast and right off the bat had been looking for bigger name guests, I wouldn't have a track record or any reason for them to say yes. So once you get that first person on, most likely with a personal connection, things are going to come more easily because you have this track record and it's obvious, you know, this is going to be close to episode 200 here. So if people didn't like talking to me at all, I don't think I would be approaching episode 200 of this podcast by any means. Right. And actually, I was just thinking the first show I did was with uh, Chuck from Deep Elm Records, which is a label it was based out of Charlotte and did these series called Emo Diaries. Okay. And my band, well, actually, the first record sent to me in college from a like a free record was from was from Deep Elm, and it was his band Camber, and it was from Chuck. And so I've known him since '97, probably '96, '97, and that's a hundred years ago. If anyone can't count, <laughs> and stayed in touch, always kept in touch about bands, blah blah blah. And then my my band in, uh, my first band in New York, we got on Emo Diaries. We got on Seven, so we were connecting again. And so that was 2000. 
2011 comes and I'm like, who am I? Who have I known for a really long time? And who would come on first if I just asked him? Chuck. So that it, it again, it was it was the I knew he would do it and I knew it would be a great start. And I knew he would be comfortable because I've known him since 96. So that was the thinking of like, who do I start with? And um, I think you're totally right. Like if it if that started the snowball and you're right, if people didn't want to, it would have stopped a long time ago for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And granted, I spent a lot of time just talking to the same group of people, you know, rotating my friends in and out. But I found that even just doing that helps me get other people on who I, you know, you and I had never spoken until we hit, you know, the call button on Skype here. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. No, and I think it's, uh, but also it's, 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 um, I, I love that. Like there's people that I've met randomly or connected with because of this, or I've met so many amazing people because of the DJ night. Um, so it's been, you know, I love those happy accidents and those things where you never know, um, what someone's working on or, or the connection or what something else they're into to be able to connect on. And I'm a people person. I love being around people. I love connections. I love uh, networking and, and hearing people's stories. And I think that's why my podcast works. That's why I like a book. If I just wanted to talk about myself all the time, I don't know. I don't think it would. Um, yes, I'm talking to you right now because you're interviewing me. But overall, that would be something that I don't know would be that interesting. I don't think a podcast about me is very interesting in succession. (laughs) And with this, I just pick a topic and I talk to someone about it each week. So it's hopefully not the same thing over and over again. I know I have repeated myself about, you know, podcasts that I work on in addition to my own stuff and just some other thing. That's your experiences. Yeah. And, you know, with Anthology of Emo, because you started washed up emo in 2011 you said and then the book 2007 2007 sorry the website in 2007 no 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 the website in 2007 the podcast in uh 2011 okay so you had the website you turned it into a podcast four years later and then it was what six years after that that the book came out so this has been a process it's not like you were at the start i'm going to turn this whole thing into a book in 10 years or whatever right yeah, it wasn't, it It just, I, I guess some people are really great and they're probably millionaires and successful if they have that drive, but I just, it's more organic. It's more, um, I want to do this and, and pass on the way to like to the, the process of this and the be, be okay with that. Be okay with things taking time, be okay with learning, making mistakes. I have made so many mistakes. Um, doing this, but I've also learned from them and been able to, to make, like I said, volume two, even better, uh, or the podcast even better each week, because I know what I'm doing, um, now even more. And I'm learning every week. I mean, like you said, you're, we were talking before we went on about, you know, my buddy, Jesse Cannon, I learn from stuff from him every time I talk to him, you know, about production or, Hey, mm-hmm. have you thought about doing this? And like, I love that. And I love when people critique and send notes back and they, hey, I really like this show, but that show, I didn't like this because of this. I want that. I want feedback. I want, so I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not that fragile where it's like this thing sucks because you know what, then go do your own show. You know, like I'm putting myself out in the world. I'm putting out 
what I think. And I think a lot of people, I don't know, just, I think they're just internally negative where they're just kind of like, well, I, I would have done that. Well, go and do it, man. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll support you. You know, I'll promote whatever you're doing. Like, just do it. Um, it's, 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 uh, instead of waiting. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, we got really deep in this one, but I just, I have this, I just, I can't not do this show. I can't not do the book. I can't not, you know, defend, um, what I think about this genre and this world that people perceive it as until, you know, I can't anymore. And it's been really fun to have this physical element to be able to continue that story I don't know, but we'll see what happens with it. But I feel like there's a lot of people that are going to find out about it. And hopefully they learn more about the genre. Just like you have, maybe someone gets into Cujo or they've only read that, but now they're going to read, you know, Carrie or they're going to read another one and they're going to find that. And that's, that's the win for me. Yeah, well, I think that's the perfect place to wrap this up. So, Tom, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Anthology of Emo and a few other things here and there along the way. <laughs> There's always something else. Thank you, and uh, I appreciate you asking me on. Of course. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.